welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and stroke survivor. See what I did there? Mixing it up a little. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about navigating post-stroke anxiety. And this is because I've been feeling anxiety growing within me over the past week or so. Um, my doctor had increased my anxiety medication and in anticipation of this kind of thing. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with me, why I think I may be feeling some anxiety and what are some things that I can do to, um, to manage it and overcome any fears that I have? Are the fears realistic or am I being irrational? And um, and how do I find balance? How do I address the things that are causing me anxiety, but yet um, kind of manage that and keep it at a, at a level that doesn't overwhelm me? So um, <clears throat> post-stroke anxiety has really been um, a roller coaster for me. Um, it started, you know, two and a half years ago when I first had the stroke. Um, I really, um, I think the most anxiety back then was just wondering why, why did I have the stroke? That was the main thing that was echoing in my head for the first, I don't know, uh, six months, something like that. Um, I don't, I don't know why though, that it was my focus. I felt like maybe if I knew why I had the stroke that they might be able to (laughs) fix me. I I don't know. Um, I, I, I think it's just kind of wanting to know like what happened. Um, and so those, those unknowns were what drove a little bit of my frustration, anger, and then anxiety as far as how many doctors am I going to have to go to to figure out what's going on with me. Um, This was before I really knew what was going on with my vision. Um, I knew that I had a headache all the time, and I knew that there were things that bothered me when I looked at them. Um, I knew that when I rode in the car, I needed to shut my eyes. That that was something that I quickly realized. Um, but I also had a lot of fear in that I was afraid I was going to have another stroke, Um when I was in ICU, I remember sitting there and my kids were in there. Um, it was like late, late at night and they let them come up to visit me because they hadn't seen me yet uh, after I had my stroke. And a doctor or, you know, a, I don't know, a nurse, whatever they call, whatever they call, one of the people came in and... Um, And I said that I was afraid that I was going to have another stroke. I guess he just said, do you have any questions or something? 
And I said, I, I'm more fearful that I'm going to have another stroke. And he was like, oh, uh, oh, don't worry. If you have another one, it won't be for another five or ten years. <laughs> and I was like, what? And that has stuck with me. And the more that I do research on that topic, um, I hear that, like, I have a 50% greater risk of having another stroke in the next five years. And that is, is still freaking me out. Um, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. You know, um, I'm getting a little less fearful as time goes by, but, uh, it's something that definitely sticks in the back of my mind and goes back to why did I have the stroke to begin with? Um, I have mentioned in the beginning of, of this podcast show that I feel very strongly that I had the stroke after and because of my COVID vaccine, because I had a clot in my arm after the first COVID vaccine, and then I had my stroke after the second COVID vaccine. So, um, you know, does that mean if I get COVID again, if I get a booster, like, you know, should I be scared? Anyway, that's, I went off on a tangent, but that is a big piece of the anxiety for me is, is a lot of that uncertainty, having no idea why it happened. So I don't know if it's going to happen again, or what I need to do. Um, they give you like a cocktail of medication when you have a stroke or a heart attack, it's the same thing. It's like high cholesterol medicine, one baby aspirin and something else. And, um, none of that, like I didn't have high cholesterol. I didn't have any of these things. I didn't have AFib. They tested me for that. I didn't have anything. So, um, it's just a lot of, um, you know, that unknown causes a lot of anxiety and then um, throughout the past two and a half years, managing health insurance has been a freaking nightmare. It really has. It's, it's, I feel really bad for people who are older and maybe don't have a caregiver or have lost even more capabilities than I have. I mean, I'm trying to manage all my health insurance and my doctor's appointments and everything um, having problems looking at digital devices. And so if there's people who, you know, have the inability to like have severe aphasia, how do they talk on the phone to talk to these people? You know, they have to have a caregiver to do it. Um, so health insurance has been really scary for me. Um, not knowing if I'm going to get approved or not. You know, I have other people saying to me, well, why wouldn't you get approved? You're, you'll totally get approved. And then the next thing I know, the insurance company calls me and says, you're going to be denied. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, are you telling me that I, I don't have these problems? Because I'm telling you that I do have these problems and I can't work. Um, so that causes a lot of anxiety um, doctor's appointments. So I've gone to like, I, 
six different specialists and doctors um, and managing all the times uh, has been difficult for me because I didn't have uh, my digital device to record it all so I've been writing it all down well when you get reminders of your doctor's appointments how do they come to you <laughs> by email or text so I'm missing all of my reminders and um you know, it seems like it would be very simple. You go to the doctor, you write it down on a piece of paper. This is when your next appointment is. I thought that I was doing it right, but I have um, had the wrong thing written down like two or three times for doctor's appointments. And I feel so bad. My boyfriend drives me there and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. The appointment is tomorrow, not today. Um, and he has been a trooper, like he has yet to even reveal a frustrated face or anything with me. He's just like, okay, no problem. We'll come back again tomorrow. So um, I just, I know that I rave about him, how much love and support he's given me. It's just, I couldn't even ask for it. It's like more than somebody could even ask for. So the two doctor's appointments that I have coming up uh, this month, one is in four days on the 5th. This is the neuro-ophthalmologist, and I'm nervous about it because I'm afraid, number one, I'm going to show up on the wrong day at the wrong time, and it's like 45 minutes away. It's like over in Chevy Chase or something like that, I think, um, and then... I'm afraid, like, I'm going to go in there and they're going to set and they're going to be like, oh, we don't see anything wrong with you. <laughs> and I don't know why I have that fear because I can't even decorate my tree without severe head pain. Yeah, newsflash I woke up this morning with a terrible screaming headache. I've had it all day long and I couldn't figure out what did I do to cause this headache. Like I could feel the sharp pain starting to come in my head and all of that stuff. And I realized tonight when I was trying to decorate the tree a little more, which is what I've, I've been doing it a little bit at a time, um, that that was it. I had the tree on with the little lights and I was scanning the tree branches to put ornaments on them. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God, my head is killing me. And I was like, oh, it that's it. It's, it's decorating the Christmas tree. That's what it is. So I turned off the lights on the Christmas tree and um, put a couple more ornaments on it. And then I was like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. So um, I think my boyfriend is going to take over and decorate the Christmas tree, which is... Oh, I don't know. Very disheartening. But um, I don't know. My mom and my sister are coming to visit on Thursday, but I'm sure we'll have it done by then. Just a little bit at a time. So, um, you know, again, luxury problems, luxury problems. But I'm nervous about the doctor's appointments, even though I know that there's something wrong with me. If they can't figure it out, then I'll find somebody else who can. And then also this month I have the neuropsychiatric exam, um, which 
that'll be interesting. I have no idea what other underlying cognitive issues I have. I think that there's stuff going on for sure. Um, and hopefully he can figure out what that is. And so that's making me a little nervous. Uh, self-care. I don't know that it's anxiety. It's just, um, pressure, like feeling like I have to, I have to make sure that I drink water. I have to make sure that I exercise. I have to make sure that I go to my sobriety meeting. I need to do my podcast. I need to make sure that I talk to people in my program. Um, I need to make sure that I eat healthy. I don't, I shouldn't have too much sugar. Like all of these things, like I know I need to be gentle with myself and I feel like I am being gentle with myself, but I'm also being, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Like just stringent, right? I don't know if that's the right word, but um, I'm just trying to make sure that I do the best I can to care for myself the best that I can. And, um, you know, I am an overachiever. So, uh, one thing I don't want to do is if I don't drink as much water today than I should, that I beat myself up about it. And I think that's what I mean by being gentle with myself. So I'm, I'm striving, I'm reaching for the moon and hoping that I'll catch a couple stars. You know what I mean? So um, then there's finances. So handling financial obligations while insurance companies are figuring out whether they're going to pay me or not. Um, luckily, I'm in a comfortable situation. I have a significant other and and we are you know, financially stable and all of that stuff. But I have my own bills, you know, I have, my kids just graduated from college. So loans start kicking in. And you know, those parent plus loans? Yeah, I've got a crap load of parent plus loans. So I need to pay those off. So what I found out through some research is that you have to be on social security disability for like 60 months in order to get, um, get loan forgiveness. So that's weird, you know, 60 months. <laughs> um, so I, we're fine, you know, it's fine. It's fine. But it's just, I'm used to having an income. I'm used to getting to do whatever I want to do. Like if I want to do, if I want to go shopping, I go shopping. If I want to do this, I want to do that. That's fine. Um, I'm not suffering. I'm just stressed out because it's not normal. You know, it's not what I've worked my whole life for. Now they're like, hey, you got a demotion. That's what I feel like. You've worked your whole life for this, Rachel, but now we're going to give you a demotion and we're going to give you 66% of your pay. And I'm like, what the hell? So, um, so that's stressful to me, whether, it, and that goes back to the, is this irrational um, anxiety or is it, is it realistic? So, um, 
it's just a plethora of responsibilities that um, are in front of me as a stroke survivor. And I know that any other stroke survivor out there is dealing with the same thing. And I've gone to some stroke survivor support groups and I'm hearing the same thing. I'm hearing about filling out the paperwork. My doctor filled out the paperwork wrong and they denied me. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, this is my livelihood, my well-being, you know, my financial security that is at stake. And the doctor's just not filling it, you know? Oh, sorry, I was busy. I checked all the wrong boxes. Like, what? <laughs> how is that okay? How, how, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like anywhere else we work, right? People can do half-assed jobs or not half-assed jobs. And, and it doesn't matter what's at stake. So um, it can be overwhelming, all of this. And so I wanted to break it down today and, um, and really give myself some positive encouragement. Um, so I know that it is normal to have these concerns about health insurance, doctors, and the logistics of everyday life post-stroke. So are these things realistic? Absolutely. It's, it's vital that I stay on top of all of my medical needs, all of my financial responsibilities, and all of the, the uh, different um, uh, what's the providers and such that are a part of that that, ha that I need to engage with. But there's a fine line between realistic concerns and irrational fears that can hinder my recovery. And it's important that I remain calm. And, and, I, and I mean that from a, from a place where if I, um, if I start getting anxious and stuff, um, it's not doing, I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm not going to be able to sleep. And these are really important things to my recovery. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I can manage these anxieties and um, navigate all of my worries in a way that adds value to my recovery instead of possibly just making my health situation worse. So it's about prioritizing. And I have a lot on my pl plate, but if I break things down into manageable tasks, it can make a world of a difference. So what I typically do is I create a checklist. Um, every day, I think about what it is that I need to do this day. And my job is my recovery. That means that I need to, if there's any insurance uh, obligations that I have for paperwork to fill out, then that comes uh, second <laughs> to any um, doctor's uh, things that I need to do for the doctor, fill out paperwork and stuff. And then um, as far as like... What do I need to, I need to make sure that I set time aside to eat. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're a listener 
to uh, a lot of these episodes, I talk about how I do have a, an eating issue and it's worse when I get anxious. So I'll stop. I'll just completely stop eating if I get too worried about things. So um, I will make a checklist, but I make sure that I leave time for eating, taking a nap, um, doing some sort of exercise activity, and um, and relax, uh, listen to my audiobook and stuff like that. So basically, I make the checklist, but it's really short, typically, because I really want to make sure that I have one focus per day. And that's because I need to not overwhelm my vision and my uh, head pain. So let's say I need to submit all of my paperwork to my insurance company. Well, the first thing that I'm going to do is coordinate with the doctors. And that might take a few hours for me to do. Then I have to stop and I have to pick it up the next day because um, that's the extent of which I need to manage my head pain. Anyway, I'll create a checklist. If I can't get to everything in just a few hours in the morning, then I put it aside and pick it back up the next day. So I set very, very small goals and then I celebrate each achievement. And that's no matter how small. And I truly do celebrate because I'm telling you, this is all so challenging and complicated and irritating (laughs) that when one thing gets checked off the list, I am like super excited. Um, Okay, so that's first is prioritizing. Second, I need to breathe. And I really, really do mean this as a completely separate thing that I have to do. I spend a lot of time just pausing and taking in a deep breath and then exhaling really slow. And what it reminds me of is I was a smoker for a long time. I started smoking in high school. I think I was a freshman in high school I dated a guy who smoked, and so that was the that was the beginning of uh, years and years of smoking. And um, so when I stopped smoking, or all the years that I stopped trying to stop smoking, one of the things that I had learned is if you go outside, right where where you would have smoked your cigarette, go outside in that same place and just take deep breaths like you're inhaling a cigarette only you're inhaling uh, oxygen and um, and kind of just stand out there just like you're smoking a cigarette but you're just breathing um, you know breathing in uh, deep into your lungs and stuff like that it really works for me and I've done it ever since then so we're talking years and years I've been taking this deep breath Um, but it especially started working really well when I had moved over to vaping. And when I put my vape down, finally, um, that's all I do. I just take deep breaths and I do it all the time. 
So, um, breathe. Anxiety can spiral when I feel overwhelmed. And incorporating this pause and deep breathing and mindfulness, like just thinking about this is where I am right now. You know, I get so caught up in what I'm doing that I'm like thinking about the past. I'm thinking about where I want to go. I'm thinking about what I need to do. And sometimes I need to just pause and think about where I am, where my feet are standing. You know, literally think about where are my feet right now? If they're inside my shoes, what do my feet look like inside my shoes right now? Like that might sound silly, but I do that. And, um, and meditation. So I've talked about that a lot. I do a meditation at least once, some, sometimes, usually twice a day from the Calm app. And um, trust me, all of this stuff works for me in the middle of chaos. And that chaos, you know, my house is quiet now. My kids are gone. They're living their own lives and stuff. And so the house is like quiet and peaceful, you know, listen, I hear nothing, but yet inside my head, it's like there's all kinds of noise. It's, there's a hamster running around in there. There's, uh, you know, different versions of Rachel that are talking to each other, you know, and I'm just like figuring out what I need to do. I'm just constantly spun up in my head. And that chaos, although it's calm and peaceful around me, the chaos is just within between my ears. And I need to be cognizant of that and tell myself to calm down. Um, And this is on top of medication, you know, so it's got to be pretty, (laughs) pretty critical that I need to manage that. And then third, seek support. Um, I'm getting better and better at asking people for help. And I think the, the greatest benefit I'm getting right now is support groups and asking people. Last month when I went to the, one of the stroke support groups, I was telling them about how I got the call that my long-term disability insurance claim was going to be denied And I said, can you believe that the doctor just filled out the paperwork wrong, just checked the wrong boxes, just said, yeah, she can drive. Yeah, she can read, even though I can't do any of those things. And they were like, yeah, I believe it. Same thing happened to me. And, you know, even though that's just ridiculous and pisses me off that it happens to so many people, it's there's a lot to be said for just knowing that you're not the only one going through it and talking about these things with someone else can alleviate some of the weight on my shoulders. So I try to remember that I'm not alone. And if I need anybody, I have friends, I have family, and I have support groups in both recovery, both in stroke recovery, and uh, sobriety. And then lastly, I need to embrace embrace self-compassion. So recovery is a process, and it is okay for me to feel anxious. And I need to just 
whenever I feel anxious, I need to acknowledge it and give it a name. You know, Rachel, you're feeling anxious. And then treat myself with kindness. What would I do with my son or daughter if they were feeling anxious? And I try to treat myself the same way that I would treat them. That little girl that I talk about that's still deep down within me, I try to take care of her. And what would she need when she's feeling anxious? So um, be kind to myself. Acknowledge that I am making progress. I'm not just standing still. I've done so much already so much. I haven't been working for like six months. I can't believe that. It doesn't seem like six months. Ask my boss. (laughs) I got a a text from him like two days ago and he was like, I miss you, Rach. And I was like, oh boy. Uh, So I need to call him. But um, I appreciate that. You know, six months later, I'm still getting Um, text from people at work. I got another text from somebody this evening that I work with that said, hey, Rach. So um, I just love it. I love it. I know I'm not alone, Um, which goes back to number three. But um, acknowledge my progress and um, give myself some grace. I don't have to be perfect. You know, I'm I'm really an all or nothing super overachiever kind of person and um it's it's a lot of that pause it's a lot of the back up back up and look down on everything that's going on you know like get a little outside of yourself and look down and see what's going on and just you know acknowledge that I'm doing a good job and everything is okay Everything's not going to be okay. It already is okay. So managing stroke anxiety isn't just about tackling my fears. It's about making space for joy and progress in my recovery. And um, and it's a process. And I need to make sure that I start feeling you know, I keep feeling that, that it's more of a road that I'm on. That doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, I'm waiting to get somewhere before I feel joy. Um, But there's a lot of things I need to do along the way. And so that's all for today's episode. I'm going to focus on taking recovery one step at a time. I'm going to prioritize my self-care and I'm going to keep moving forward. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I will talk to you tomorrow.